Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, sponsored by ACR Poker, where the Venom Tournament has wrapped up and starting this weekend, Sunday, August the 6th, we start our High Five series. There is a mystery bounty tournament. Two of them, actually. One of them has a $16.50 buy-in with a $300,000 guarantee. Are you kidding me? The other has a $75,000 guarantee for $2.50. So ACR Poker is the place to play this August. We also have a $630 buy-in, million-dollar guaranteed kickoff event beginning this Sunday, August 6th on ACR Poker. My name is Clayton Fletcher. I'm in New York City, and I'm so happy to be back, back bringing you the TPE free roll, which is also happening this Sunday, August 6th on ACR Poker. So, on our last episode, I had an interview with a first-time guest by the name of Mark Lovin. I thought he gave a great interview, very honest, you know, kind of not trying to pretend that he's better at poker than he is. He's a serious amateur. He studies the game. He works hard at the game, but he's not playing professionally, and he knows that he makes a lot of mistakes each and every time that he plays, which probably almost all of us should be saying that. I mean, I know... Every session I have, I think of a hand that I could have played better, even a hand that I won. Maybe I could have bet a little bit more on the river or possibly gone for a check raise on the turn. Maybe there were a few ill-advised bluffs that I attempted uh, that happened to get through, as is often the case with me. My mistakes tend to be of the over-bluffing variety. But yeah, the feedback from that episode was really good. I think Mark really struck a chord with a lot of our listeners. It's nice to hear a recreational player who's just being honest about where he is in the game. You know, he studies the game, he works hard, he's an analyst, and all of that was interesting. But what I really found interesting, and the conversation continued on the TPE Discord, which by the way, you can join just by clicking the link in the description of this podcast episode. It's free, and you can join the conversation. A lot of players kind of discussing how they played the first time they ever entered the World Series of Poker, how they may have made some strategic errors on day one of their first ever main event, stuff like that, and just kind of the mindset that you need to have to be a winner in tournament poker, and especially in the World Series. You can't go in there thinking, well, my goal is to just last a long time. Your goal has to be to win. You got to be playing to win or else what are we here for? And so, yeah, there was a lot of good back and forth, very lively discussion on the Discord, which actually continued over into the TPE free roll. The free roll is back as of last weekend. And I was there. I was chip leader with like 24 players left. So obviously I got 21st place. (laughs) That's just the way it goes. But on that Twitch stream, a lot of people were discussing the podcast. And I'll be honest with you guys, I love to see it. If you want to do us a favor, go ahead and rate and review 
wherever you happen to be listening, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or what have you, it means a lot just to get those five-star ratings, even if you don't leave any comments, although we always read the comments and they kind of warm my heart as well. This episode might be a little bit shorter than a lot of our episodes. I've had an incredibly busy day recording the Audible version of my new book that's coming out. I don't think I've talked about the book at all here on the podcast, but if my voice sounds groggy, it's because I've spent the last two days in the recording studio reading page after page after page of a book that I've co-written, and it's called The ROI of LOL. So a little off topic for a poker podcast, but my book, co-written with the CEO of a PR firm here in New York, is all about using comedy skills in business and just to make your life better. So there's a lot of return on investment on learning how to use your sense of humor. The book is published by HarperCollins, and it is available for pre-order now everywhere that books are sold. So if you want to support me personally, I'd really appreciate it if you would pre-order a copy of the ROI of LOL. So anyway, that's been really taking up a lot of my time, my energy, and my vocal strength in the last two days. So I feel a little bit raspy. I hope that you can't really detect much difference between this voice and the one that I normally have on the podcast. Today, I want to talk about a few hands that I played in the $10,500 World Poker Tour Everyone for One Drop event at the Wynn Casino in fabulous Las Vegas. This tournament started on July 9th. Now remember, the main event started on July 3rd. So by now, many players had busted out of the main event and may have been looking for a $10,000 buy-in to try to save their summer or make up for the fact that they had screwed up the main event, or maybe they're just on tilt and decided to max out their credit cards and try to buy into the 10K WPT everyone for one drop event. At the same time as this tournament, there was the Lucky Sevens event at the WSOP. So you could either buy in for $777 into that tournament or you could buy in for 10K into this one. So I was actually in line to register for the Lucky Sevens at the Horseshoe in Paris, but the line was ridiculously long. I did not pre-enter that tournament. I wasn't really planning to play that tournament because, of course, I was planning to play the main event until day 10 or whatever, whatever the last day is. I had big plans until I was one-outered, as we discussed already on the podcast. So yeah, I didn't really know what I was going to play, but when I saw how long the line was and then they actually stopped taking registration for the Lucky Sevens for a while because they knew they just needed to hold off on late reg for a while. That's what a madhouse it was between the record-breaking main event and then this tournament that they were trying to get started on the next day. So yeah, I just decided to get the heck out of there. I said, screw this. I'm going to the win to play day 1A of the 10K one drop. What a mistake that turned out to be. This was probably the toughest table I've ever played. I had Joe McKeon, Justin Bonomo, 
and Makita Badzikowski at my table on day 1A. Uh, other players, too, I can't even remember who all came and went. Jeremy Ausmus. Uh, it was it was crazy. Uh, it was a really, really tough table, and I was like, I should have just waited all day to play the Lucky Sevens or perhaps not even played poker today at all rather than putting myself in this position where I'm almost certain to lose $10,500 against some of the best players in poker history. Yeah, this was not a pretty sight for me. Anyway, once you buy into a poker tournament and play one hand, you can't get out of it. So I'm stuck at this table and I got to deal with it. I have Yuha Helpy, who old school fans will remember him as one of the original Scandinavian WPT champions. He may even be the person that Phil Helmuth was referring to when he famously said these idiots from Northern Europe, although don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. But yeah, it was just a really, really tough table and everybody was getting after it. You couldn't really tell if they're just wild and very, very aggressive all the time or if some of them may have been on tilt because basically what everyone at this table had in common is we had all busted out of the World Series of Poker main event. So anyway, let's get the action started. You start this tournament with, I believe, 50,000 in chips. It might have been 40, but either way, we have lots and lots of chips. The blinds were 200, 400, with a 400 big blind ante at this time. And Joe McKeon, former world champion, Joe McKeon, opens under the gun just for the min raise to 800. And now I am on McKeon's immediate left in second position with the King of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds. Now, what to do with this hand in this spot? I think this is a fold. You know, we've got a really tough table that I've already described. You know, even if I call, I'm very likely to get three bet and then you're going to have to play from out of position with the King Queen. Yes, it is suited and yes, you can make the nuts. I get all that, but I still think at a table like this one, you shouldn't be playing too many hands from early position, especially hands that could easily be dominated. I mean, who's to say McKeon doesn't have ace-king or ace-queen? And then it's just going to cost me a lot to find out that my top pair is no good on a king or queen high flop. Yeah, I think in retrospect, this is a fold. Um, I did opt for the call which I think is actually the worst option. I think three betting here is probably better than calling. But when we do three bet, we're doing so as a bluff. We don't really want action from anyone on our left. And we really don't mind if McKeon folds whatever he opened with as well. So I think that three betting is fine. I don't really like my call here, but that's what happened. And then an unknown amateur, one of the few at this table called from the cutoff. So I'm going to be in second of three positions for the rest of the hand. And with 3,400 in the middle, the flop comes queen of hearts, five of hearts, four of diamonds. So queen, five, four with two hearts and one diamond, hero holding the king of diamonds, queen of diamonds. And Joe McKeon now leads out into two opponents 1300 into the 3400 pot and the action is on Clayton. I think that being in this spot really demonstrates what is wrong with just calling before the flop. Now we flopped a pair of queens and we still don't really know where we stand. So yeah, it's really hard to play 
early position and we've got this guy behind us to worry about. I really wish I had folded pre-flop, but now that we got to this point, we just have to play the hand from here. I think that calling is totally fine, but I decided to raise. And the reason why is because, number one, I'd like to see the player in the cutoff just get out of the pot, effectively buying me position. Um, I also would like to be able to check behind on the turn. So it's kind of like what in limit hold'em they call the free card play. It's not really a free card because you're basically paying with the raise on the flop to see if you can get yourself a free card in quotation marks, free card on the turn. But it's not really free because you have to raise to get it. So you're paying something for that card anyway. Uh, also, there is some chance my hand is good and that one or more of my opponents may have a draw. It's always nice to charge people for draws. I mean, six, seven is a draw. Obviously, any two hearts is a draw. And I could also pick up a draw on the turn with a diamond. So that might be a nice thing to have. And so I decided to raise it to 3,500. So McKeon had bet 13 into the 34 pot, and I made it 35. At that point, the cutoff called, foiling my plan, and McKeon called as well. So now all we've managed to do is build the pot with a pair of queens in a situation where I have absolutely no clue where I'm at, and I didn't even buy position. So I was not happy that they both called, and I really didn't know where I stood at all. I just knew I had a pair of queens, and I was really hoping to see a diamond on the turn. Now with the pot at 13,900, the turn came the 10 of hearts. So our board is now queen of hearts, five of hearts, four of diamonds, 10 of hearts. Queen, five, four, 10 with three hearts, hero holding the king of diamonds, queen of diamonds. At this point, Joe McKeon checks to the razor, me, and it's my decision what to do, what to do. Well, I don't really see any reason to bet this card. One thing I was concerned about on the flop was a possible draw. And, you know, the flush has now come in. So I have to be concerned about that, obviously. I mean, Joe McKeon could easily have a hand like the ace king of hearts. Really, ace anything of hearts might be in McKeon's range at this table. Also, we have this unknown amateur opponent who called from the cutoff position, and he could easily have cold called my flop raise with a draw, a heart draw. So I really don't think we should be betting this card. It would be great to keep this pot exactly where it is. And I decided to check, and I was very happy that the cutoff checked behind. And the river came the eight of clubs for a final board of Queen of Hearts, Five of Hearts, Four of Diamonds, Ten of Hearts, Eight of Clubs. At that point, McKeon put out a tiny bet, 4,000 into the 13,900 pot. So less than one-third, well below one-third. And the action is on Hero. I mean, what do I, what do, I do now? I still have top pair for what it's worth. I'm getting four to one. So I really only need 25% equity in order to show a profit. And that might be a good argument for calling if I'm heads up. 
versus just Joe McKeon, who could be doing this with a pretty wide range, I suppose. Although, you know, when he bets into two opponents, such a small amount, what are the chances that he's bluffing? I mean, if I'm calling, I'm basically hoping he turns over, I don't know, Queen Jack, Ace-10 for second pair. I mean, even those hands might not bet the river into two opponents when the flush came in. So I think this is also a fold, but I did not fold. I made the call for 4K, and then the cutoff called behind me. So I knew if Joe didn't have me beat, this guy in position certainly did. There is almost no chance King-Queen is any good. So at least we get to see everybody's cards. McKeon turns over pocket aces with the ace of hearts. And of course, that beats my hand. But we both lost to the amateur in the cutoff who had a 7-6 offsuit. Now here's the problem with overcalling pre-flop with a hand like 7-6 offsuit. Even when you make the 8 high straight on the river, you don't want to raise with it for fear that one or more of your opponents has you beat with a flush. So really that's a junk hand that you shouldn't be calling from the cutoff when it's gone first position raise and second position call. I think we can all agree folding 7-6 offsuit is correct. But in this case, it worked out just fine for the cutoff who won a nice pot with the eight high straight. So yeah, pretty bad hand by me. I don't like my pre-flop call and I definitely don't like my river call in the least. I do like my flop raise for what it's worth and think it has a lot of merit, especially multi-way, but overall, not a great hand by me. So later on, after dinner, the blinds were 500, 1,000 with a 1,000 big blind ante. And at that point, we had 58,000 in the stack when the average was 62K. So right around average after dinner. And we have a new player at our table. He is, uh, I think, Brazilian. He's got a Spanish accent of some kind. And he's got a very colorful sweater and a colorful personality. And some of the other pros at the table know who he is, but I do not. Anyway, this colorful sweater guy opens for the minimum to 2,000. One thing I noticed, by the way, about this tournament is most of the raises, even early on day one, were just minimum raises. People weren't getting too fancy, trying to make it 2.2x or 2.15x or anything cute. They just, you know, a raise is a raise, apparently, in this world. So that was the norm, at least at this particular table. So I thought that was well worth mentioning. Uh, this player has about 40,000 in his stack, and he opens from second position to 2,000. Uh, folds to me in the cutoff, holding the 10 of hearts, 10 of diamonds. Now my M is about 23. I have obviously 58 big blinds, and I think that we have a choice here between calling and three betting. So I've got pocket tens. I don't know my opponent. He's got 40 big blinds, so we have him covered. I don't know. I mean, do we want to try to get all in for 40 big blinds with pocket tens versus an early position raiser? I mean, I think that's okay. 40 big blinds, pocket tens, totally fine. But here's the key, guys. If you do three bet with this hand in this situation, you can't really be folding unless all hell breaks loose to your left. In other words, maybe if 
Helpy, three bets, and then Makita goes all in, and then the original Razor also shoves, then we can start thinking about throwing away the tens. But short of anything wild and crazy like that, we don't want to be three bet folding a hand this strong versus this original Razor, who is an unknown Brazilian opponent with 40 times the big blind in his stack. If we're three betting, it's to try to get all in versus his ace king, ace queen, or hopefully pocket nines. So another reason to possibly consider three betting is we do have two really tough players on the left that we'd like to eliminate, those being the aforementioned Yuha Helpy and Makita Bezikowski. So I do think there's some merit to that, but I just called. I wanted to see a flop in position, maybe just try to feel things out from there. On my immediate left, Yuha Helpy also calls. Now let's talk about him a little bit because he has a good reputation for being a very solid player and it's well-deserved. He's solid in the sense that he's very tight. Now he might have been tighter than usual because he had a lot of loose action on his left, which kind of dictates that you really can't get too involved with hands you're not willing to go to the felt with. And I can tell you this Makita Badzikowski is wild. I believe he's Belarusian. He's aggressive, he is sticky, and he's extremely tough. He'll overbet in spots, he'll check raise in spots. You just really don't know. This guy knows all the tricks. He's an absolute shark, and it was not fun being on his right. So, yeah, maybe three betting for those reasons is good. Anyway, getting back to what actually happened, when Helpy overcalled on my left, I started thinking he's probably got a very strong hand. He really hadn't been getting too involved in any of the pots. He may have had the lowest V-pip at the table, but you have to balance that analysis by the fact that he's also got the button, so he may have a wider range for calling and overcalling on the button. So you do have to consider that, but it's worth noting he had been noticeably tighter than the average player at this table. So he calls... And then the small blind folds, but Mikita Bazikowski calls in the big blind. So I'm going to see a flop four ways, Hero holding the 10 of hearts, 10 of diamonds. So now with 9,500 in the middle, the flop comes nine of clubs, six of diamonds, five of spades, nine, six, five, and I have pocket tens. Uh, Makita checks the original razor in the colorful sweater also checks and now it's up to me with pocket tens well i think we have to bet right i mean there's just too good a chance the tens are good we've got to try to get some value for our hand we also don't want to give free cards to players who might have an eight or a seven in their hand possibly pocket eights pocket sevens a seven suited seven six there there are a lot of hands that we don't want to give a free card so i decide to bet a little less than half the pot. It's uh, 9,500 in the middle. I put in 4K. And now, Yuha Helpy calls, and thankfully the other two opponents fold. So at least I'm heads up with somebody. But again, it's a guy that's been really tight. I don't know what's going on with him. I, he hasn't really shown down any garbage all day. And he overcalled after I called an early position raise. So I was a little bit concerned about what I might be up against. But at the end of the day, 
I have an overpair on a nine high flop and it's probably good no matter what. So now uh, he calls and with 17,500 in the middle, we see a turn of the nine of hearts. So it pairs the board nine, six, five, nine and the actions on Clayton. I do think betting again makes sense. We're trying to get action here from hands like pocket eights and pocket sevens. I'm not overly concerned that Yuha has a nine in his hand. I mean, I suppose he could. Maybe a hand like 10-9 suited, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I'm more worried about him having like a pair and a draw. Pocket eights, pocket sevens, nine eight, nine seven, seven six. Hands like that. I don't know how many combos of all of those hands will actually be in his range. I mean, obviously, he's always going to have every combo of pocket eights, pocket sevens. He may also have us beat with a hand like pocket jacks that just didn't want to three bet before the flop. But on balance, I decided this is a value bet situation, and I put in 10,000 chips. So I bet 10,000 into the 17,500 pot, expecting to get called by eights or sevens or similar hands. So Helpy does call, and now all of a sudden we're playing a big pot. There's 37,500 chips in the middle, and we've only got about another 42,000 behind. And the river comes the queen of clubs for a final board of nine of clubs, six of diamonds, five of spades, nine of hearts, queen of clubs, nine, six, five, nine, queen. And what to do? I mean, we don't love this card, but how many queens does he have in his hand, right? He's not sitting there with like queen jack calling all these bets on the flop and turn. He's not that kind of player. Not at all. So I'm not thinking that the queen really changed anything, but I just didn't know how to feel once my turn bet got called. So I decided to check this river card. I don't know if I can really get any more value from pocket eights, pocket sevens, or seven six or whatever. So I just decided to check and see what Helpy wants to do. I told myself if he shoved, I'm going to have to fold the tens, even though I'm having trouble putting him on anything at all. Maybe quad nines. I don't know. You know, it's really hard to read at this point. So I was, in a way, I was hoping he would shove just so I could throw my hand away and just wonder <laughs> whether I got outplayed by one of the original, like season one WPT superstars. So instead, he makes my life even harder. I checked and Helpy bet 15,000 into the 37,500 pot. Now, I didn't mention this before, but he has me covered by a few thousand. We're basically about the same, but he's got me barely covered. I don't know what to make of this one. I wasn't planning on having to face a less than half the pot bet with my pocket tens. I just have to wonder, would he turn pocket eights or pocket sevens into a bluff? Certainly those hands aren't value betting. They're basically marginal. And if he's not bluffing with those hands, which I really don't think he often would, right? If you had eights in his shoes and I finally checked, wouldn't you just check behind and see if your hand's any good? Like why turn eights into a bluff? They kind of have too much value. So if he's not bluffing with pocket eights or pocket sevens, what bluffs does he have in his range? I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's value betting worse than pocket tens, but I also am having trouble putting him on any kind of hand at all. 
So I was really lost in this spot. Uh, it just shows the power of overcalling on the button. And now, you know, he's really got me in the grinder here. I don't know what to do. I'm just trying to figure it out. I can't get a read on this guy. He's been playing poker since Vietnam. I don't know what's going on. I shrugged and threw a chip in. I think that's a mistake. Before I tell you the outcome, when a player has been very tight all day, not getting overly involved, has been extremely patient, and now all of a sudden puts more chips into a pot that's already inflated, the correct play is usually just to throw away anything that's not anywhere near the nuts, which I think by now pocket tens are clearly pretty far from the nuts in this scenario. I think we need to fold. I think we're usually going to see like a full house or quads or something like that. And especially when you can't really put your opponent on a bluff, you can't be making these kinds of curious, I don't know what you have, so I call, calls. Well, I was punished because Yuha had the eight of clubs, seven of clubs. So he flopped a straight and just slow played me all the way home and then got maximum value because I would not have called a much larger bet on the end, he milked another 15K out of me, showing the skills that have kept him relevant in this great game of ours for 20 plus years. Well, that'll do it for this episode. In a future episode, I will tell you guys the rest of this tournament. There were a lot of hands that were so interesting after dinner, and I don't want to reveal any spoilers, but we will talk later about the outcome of my experience playing the WPT everyone for one drop tournament at the Wynn Casino in fabulous Las Vegas. But for now, for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, and with special thanks as always to our wonderful sponsor, America's Card Room, ACR Poker, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart It's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, whoa, whoa.